The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Kevin Plexico, Senior Vice President of Information Solutions at Dell Tech. Welcome to Ask the CIO SLED edition, Kevin, our state and local program. Great to have you on the air. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Kevin, we were just having a little fun talking about the Fiscal Project in California and, of course, these new innovation officers that we're seeing pop up all over the place. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of the other big states, maybe Texas, New York, uh, along those lines. What, what do you see there? Well, I think as you look across the states, there's definitely some themes that we're seeing um, that are playing out over and over again. Uh, it's sort of like the innovation office that we just talked about, uh, the creation of a digital services organization. Uh, so we see that in, in uh, Texas and New York, the idea of driving digital services, citizen access, et cetera. Uh, of course, cybersecurity is something that's on the front of mind of every CIO and every state agency now has a CISO that's uh, trying to drive risk reduction. I mean, there's so many uh, vulnerabilities that are happening both through people trying to get in through malware, employees not paying attention to a phishing uh, activity. So there's a lot of investment that I think that's really capitalizing on state budgets uh, to really devote more and more to the, the protection of their resources from an IT point of view. So those are thematic some, some things. Um, I would say in Texas, they're a bit more of a leader in terms of uh, governance and ownership of IT being in one organization. Um, their DIR, the Director of Information Resources, is a much more command and control model than what you're seeing in California. Uh, they went through a, an effort a few years ago to really consolidate their data centers down to two main data centers, but now they're realizing these data centers are so big, they need more than one vendor to help them out. So they're competing a bunch of, of procurements to, to break out the procurement into different pieces. Mm-hmm. How about New York? We're interested there. I know they, uh, I don't know if they've got a new CIO or not now after our, our friend. Uh, they've got an interim one, I believe. Jeremy Goldberg was named back in okay. December, uh, but it is an interim appointment. So I'm not sure if he's going to be there how, how long. Um, I think one of the things we're seeing there is it's one of the few states that seems to be having a bit more budget challenge despite the healthy environment. Um, their Medicaid costs have been growing pretty dramatically in an outsized portion versus the rest of their budget. So this is the first year in five years they've had a shortfall. Uh, and so they put in place a, a budget request that came from the, the governor to try to reduce the amount of investment that was going into the operating expenses, keeping it to 2% year over year. So they're a bit more challenged than, than some of the other states that we look at. We've had recent reports out of NASIO and the Public Technology Institute. Uh, Doug Robinson and Alan Shark, uh, they recently did a, a dog and pony show where they showed the, the, some of these issues in, in the state and local government. Do you look at their stuff? Do you look at the, and compare your stats with what they do? I do a little bit. I mean, we have good partnership with those organizations and have done surveys and um, events with them many times over the years. So we we kind of pay attention to what they're doing. Obviously, they're a good source of kind of contextual data around what they're seeing across states. Um, we obviously have to look at the cities and counties, and that's where uh, the other organization, Public Technology Institute, comes in handy because they can help us with that kind of exposure and insight as to what's going on at that level. Great organizations. Uh, I think they're very, very valuable in what they provide, but a little bit different than what we do, but only because of our angle being more commercial interest versus them being more advocates for their for their members. Mm-hmm. One aspect of... Uh budgeting and spending in state and local government that's often overlooked 
even within the state, is the impact of federal funds that go into the state. In California, it's huge. It's anywhere from 75 to $100 billion of federal money, not for IT, just IT, obviously. But a lot of that does fund major, uh, some of the biggest IT projects in the state. Is that something you look at? We look at the impact of grants that flow down from the federal <clears throat> level into state and local governments. And to your point, it does have a huge impact on things like uh, investment in school technology, um, where a lot of vendors pay attention to grants that come down from the federal government to get access to some of those uh, funds to help a state agency or uh, an educational institution shore up their technology. So it kind of We've even seen this with President Trump, you know, using that funding as almost a lever against the states to try to drive their policy interests. We've seen that with, I think, California. So, yeah, it's it's definitely something we pay attention to. I would say it probably drives about 30 percent of technology spend at the state and local level is that funding that comes from the federal level. Man, that's huge yeah. when you think about it because we're talking, as we said before – uh, $130 billion uh, across the country. So that's 30 or $40 billion right there coming yeah. from the federal government. It's, and it's very difficult to track that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, if you think about things like Medicaid, government has a huge, the federal government has a huge role in supporting and paying for that. K through 12 education, Department of Education provides a huge amount of money for that. I describe this at the federal level where you look in agencies like DHS or the Department of Defense, most of the money they spend is spent with contractors. But if you look at an agency like the Department of Education or Department of Housing and Urban Development, they're much more redirecting money that they get from the federal level down to state and local governments where it gets executed. You know, speaking of the uh, uh, educational market, tell us a little bit more about that. It's not a 911 fund, but what is all those dollars that go into the feds from the taxes that we pay on our phone bill? What's that program called? E-rate. E-rate. Oh, E-rate. Yeah. yeah. So E-rate is, uh, is a, a program that funds – through federal funding, funds K through 12 education investments in technology, communications, equipment, all kinds of things. So it's a it's a very big and popular program. I um, know, and some there's hundreds of vendors out there that have made a, a life and a career out of that whole pot of money, right? Yeah, we we actually um, pull the investment data that's coming from those purchases that are planned and, and provide that to our <clears throat> clients in GovWin. It's one of the things that we've provided that they glom onto to see where there's going to be purchases. Oh yeah, and. It, it's funny, uh, you know, I really didn't pay attention to it very much in California, but it must be just absolutely huge out there. Yeah, and it's uh, to the point we were talking about as a result of it being a federal program, there's a lot of accountability and reporting requirements. So you get a ton of transparency on what's being awarded to who and for how much, uh, unlike some of the challenges we see in some of the other areas where you don't have any transparency. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, that's a whole <clears throat> other cottage industry that sprung up is uh, these organizations, some mom and pop, some national companies that help schools and uh, the educational uh, entities uh, draft those grant requests, I yeah. assume. So it's a thriving bu- business, that's for sure. We talked a little bit about the future, and as I want to say at the budget right now is 130, I think over the next four or five years, you've got it going up to about $175 billion. Tell us about that growth and, and what some of the areas you think uh, it's really going to be different than what the last five years have funded. Yeah, so we're, we're projecting a 5% growth per year in the IT spend, which is how we get to that $175 billion over the course of the next five years. Um, really what we're seeing is as uh, agencies are looking to leverage their, their data center capacity, um, they're trying to consolidate and consolidate their email systems, really trying to squeeze the money out of the operating expenses that they have to free that money up for things that are like demanding their money, like healthcare uh, and the cost of Medicaid systems, for example. So I think from a trend point of view, 
we're seeing really kind of four areas. Um, obviously, cybersecurity, we talked about that being one that's really dominating a lot of the uh, attention of agencies because of the risks that are exposed there. Cloud services, so looking for how agencies can adopt either their own private clouds and consolidate their data centers or enable public cloud offerings and services. And I'm even seeing a lot of states starting to look at FedRAMP, which is a federal program Mm -hmm. for for authorizing cloud providers. Um, And many states are starting to look at that as like a a bar for them to select a cloud service provider. So very interesting set of things going on. The one that seems just never go away, and we talked about this a little bit, is this constant need to uh, modernize and getting off these legacy systems that they just have it seems like an impossible time kind of really departing from. That's still something that we see a lot of attention. Yeah, it to. still makes the top 10 of uh, any NASIO service state, state CIO survey for sure. It's an issue, it's an issue the that won't thorn. go away. And, and people are, you know, it's not, uh, if it was simple, it would be taken care of, but it's obviously not. I mean, you talk to some of these, even talking to some of the cloud vendors, I say, well, how come that data center, you're taking in this data center work, why don't you move it off to the cloud, to mainframe? Said, Those mainframe systems are beasts, and they're scared to death to move them over. So that's a, that's a challenge that's going to be there for a while. And federal government, I think, is a little, more, a little more aggressive in that area, at least trying to be. And Once again, I've always noticed this, and I talked to uh, Doug Robinson about it. When you compare the state and local versus the federal side, you know, the federal side has a lot more oversight to it. You know, Congress is always sticking their nose in something for good reasons about the efficacy of the money that's being spent or money being wasted. And, and, and even on these things like, hey, you haven't taken care of this and it's come up every year in a GAO report or other thing. Why don't you get on it? And sure enough, Legacy Systems is front and center every yeah. time they talk about it. And I, and I think what's one of the thing, interesting dynamics at the state and local level is so many of those large systems – are touching citizens, and the citizens are actually engaging with those systems. So you hear all these horror stories about, you know, somebody who couldn't get their pension funding or somebody who didn't get the uh, medical bill paid and is now having to hassle with, you know, Medicaid to get their billing situated. Just these tragic stories that um, that are very localized, I think, that make a lot of governors risk-averse. They don't want to be, you know, the one who led some in- innovative uh, system replacement that ended up failing uh, this is just interesting how uh, you, you see so many risk-averse agencies and taking a very cautious approach as a result. We'll take a short break now. Our guest today is Kevin Plexico, Senior Vice President of Information Solutions at Dell Tech. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. Thankfully, only about 1% as much methane is emitted by man as carbon dioxide. But Robert Kleinberg of Columbia and Boston Universities says at least in the short term, methane has an outsized role in warming our planet. If you want to do something rapid about climate change, change the temperature trajectory fairly rapidly, methane is the best way to do it. Methane comes from natural sources like swamps, but Kleinberg says about two-thirds is man-made, and a big percentage of that comes from leaks in oil and gas infrastructure. Since methane is odorless and colorless, leaks can be hard to detect, even huge ones. So people have put methane sensors on airborne platforms, aircraft, drones, even satellites. Kleinberg says the sensors can spot optical properties of methane to see plumes even from space so that the biggest leaks can be more quickly found and patched. With the National Academy of Engineering, Randy Atkins, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
I'm Jared Serbu. Each week, our program on DOD features discussions with the military's top brass, Smith civilian executives, and defense thinkers on how the Pentagon operates. It's reliable information from the people making and executing policy. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Federal News Network or subscribe to On DOD on iTunes or Podcast One. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network. Helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Kevin Plexico, Senior Vice President of Information Solutions at Dell Tech. Uh, before we uh, took a break, Kevin, we were talking about legacy systems and how they always show up on a list of priorities, whether it's the federal government, the state and local education, uh, those big beasts, as I call them, on the mainframes that people are trying to force to the cloud or are sometimes too scared to take them on. There's a lot of folks out there that are afraid to take some of these things on. Uh, there's also some interesting uh, developments that I have come across as I've interviewed dozens of state and local CIOs at Federal News Network. Uh, one of the interesting ones was uh, the uh, gentleman from uh, Sean Riley from the state of North Dakota. And it was interesting speaking to him about, you know, not what keeps you up at night, but what are some of the real challenges you're facing? And I asked him, as I do most CIOs, hey, one of the big challenges is always trying to, you know, that workforce of the future, attracting, uh, retaining, keeping talent. And uh, it's a challenge for everybody. And he said, let me tell you our challenge in North Dakota. He said, our unemployment rate is basically zero. It's around 1%. And consequently, we have a very difficult time in the best of times attracting talent into state government. So we know, like everybody else in government, state government especially, 30 to 40% of our workforce is eligible to retire in the next several years. And he's actually spoken with the governor and say, what are we going to do about this? We have – you know, when these people start leaving, they're going to be really, really difficult to replace. And they're actually jumping in with both feet into robotics and machine learning, the 21st, 22nd century kind of stuff that's coming down the pike. They look to be using that to replace a lot of the workforce that they're not going to be able to uh, attract anymore. Are you seeing that too in, in other states? Definitely seeing the workforce issue as a big one. Um, I mentioned that in California. They have that um, – what's one of their key strategies is building a dynamic workforce. I think that is a pervasive challenge uh, across many states. And I think they're realizing that as you um, move things to the cloud, it gives you a little bit more risk relief uh, because it puts it in the hands of a professional company that's managing it on your behalf to obviously to a a standard of care. So I think that's one of the the things that we're seeing is how do we leverage cloud computing to get there faster through services companies that can provide this much more economically than we can try to build it ourselves, and also recognizing that state governments are not going to ever have like a core of experts in things like machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence or RPA. You talk about robotic process automation. You know, those are areas where there's a lot of companies that can help agencies with that, but it's, I think it does need agencies to have a good governance structure and a good process for bringing those kind of technologies and capabilities in-house. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you talk about that governance structure because that's always been a uh, a pet peeve of mine and an area of strong interest is what I call the CIO governance model. And speaking with so many CIOs ac- across the country, 
uh, I've really gained a thorough knowledge of these government governance structures, which basically run the gamut of being a CIO with policy-only responsibilities or a CIO with uh, policy and operational responsibilities, but still reporting up uh, to a, a cabinet secretary and not the governor. And then on the, the other side, you're starting to see almost every few months, every new appointment, I should say, they're becoming a cabinet secretary. They have policy and they have operational responsibility, which I call a strong CIO governance model to really get things done. As that happens, I even told uh, our friend Doug Robinson at NASIO, you're going to need a new, a new organization. Uh, it'll be secretaries of technology, like Virginia did uh, right. one of the first several uh, decades ago. Uh, how do you see that working out in state government? Because to me, with the strong CIO, all these things we were talking about can happen. Identification of spending, identification of budgets, tracking both. It doesn't happen if you don't have a CIO there with real seat at the table. Yeah, it? I mean, I think this is an area where I've seen this play out both at the federal and state and local level is this kind of, I don't want to call it a power struggle, but it is a little bit of like in order for us to get control of this, somebody needs to own it. Uh, and I hear many CIOs claiming that they need that in order to have that ability to really drive what they're trying to drive down in organizations. But the reality is, and you, you know this very well from California, but the same same issue in, in uh, federal agencies the tenant agencies have a lot of their own authority and don't necessarily have to play nice. Not that they're not trying to do things badly, but they're trying to do things that are in their own interest. And it's hard to get alignment on that. Looking at one state, I won't mention the state, but they had implemented a government structure, a governance structure for their projects. And basically when you look at the reports that they're doing of the state of the project, they're requiring signatures from like everybody that's involved in the project. I'm looking at this one is like 20 signatures on one page. Like this must've taken 20 days just to get the signature on this page from all these people. You know, it's like going overboard, trying to make sure everybody's responsible and accountable. But it just seems like it's not working very well. Right. And usually by the time somebody takes a real interest in it, uh, two or three of those people have, uh, have moved on to other jobs. I know California has those kind of documents. So they have the cabinet secretary down to the project manager. You have to sign them. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some other states are doing the same. But uh, like I said, it's uh, that that's nice. But. Everybody complains about it if you don't see executive leadership. But every time I look at those signatures, rarely do I see the actual signature of the cabinet secretary. It's, you know, for such and such. Signed on behalf signed, of somebody signed, else. Signed yeah. on behalf of somebody else. Because who, I mean, some of these projects, you're happy when you're talking about legacy system, who wants to tackle those huge projects, payroll systems, financial systems, child welfare system in California, you know, it was supposed to be the new uh, agile, innovative way to do projects and geez within a two years everybody left the project and they went out and, and changed the whole uh, uh, technology direction from uh, where they were going so yeah there's are big issues very difficult what do you see of course with some of the late and of course we haven't even talked about the internet of things and uh, autonomous vehicles and all that but these are really going to change the way the state and local government works aren't they yeah i mean i see things like coronavirus um threats of of terrorist attacks things like that really driving a lot of a lot of technology, especially in the state and local level, uh, at law enforcement and public safety-related things. And it used to be you buy a, a light post. Now you're buying a light post that's got internet built into it for Wi-Fi. It's got cameras and some kind of surveillance technology built into it. So this integration of technologies into something that used to just be a light post. Just an example, one example that we see where these types of threats, these types of internet and technologies are really driving some significant differences in what, what government's buying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I meant to mention to you we were talking about data center and the cloud and all that. Back in the mid-90s, 
when there was the budgets were were tight. I remember when Governor Weld came in, one of the first things he said he was going to he's going to eliminate like five to seven thousand jobs, ten percent of the workforce, and it was all it was all budget related. And uh, one of the things was we started looking at data center, and this was the Gold Steve Goldsmith days of outsourcing and invent and competitive government. Uh, you know, Gabler and Osborne and all that. And we were all fighting to, to uh, privatize and outsource these data centers. And it was a, you know, it just, it happened. But nowhere near the scale of what was intended uh, in the middle of those years. Remember, Connecticut, a big state, was it? They were going to eliminate, uh, uh, outsource the whole thing. Never quite pulled it off. But um, why reason I say that, so we tried to close those data centers down 25 years ago. And now here comes the cloud and the cloud's doing it for us. I mean, yeah, it's putting them out of business. Put them out of business. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the numbers of the the, uh, the, the, the data centers have versus, uh, you know, basically outsourcing it to the cloud, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Now, you're playing places like California. They'll do both just because they can't lay off anybody in California. But uh, a lot of states are finding that it really makes a lot of sense, particularly as we go back to that old issue about the workforce and uh, the, the migration of your workforce. Uh, they're just not going into state government work. Uh, a lot of times, particularly in these uh, good economic times. We've only got a couple of uh, minutes left. So with all the information we've talked about and all the information that Delta provides, tell us what advice you give to vendors to try to get a handle on this thing without being too salesy. Oh, sure. So so first of all, I mean, obviously, state and local market is really hard to characterize as one market. So you really have to figure out what's the thing that you do and who's the buyer of that and where are you going to focus? Because if you try to go after all of state and local, you're going to fall between two stools very easily. Uh, it definitely requires a lot of focus, a lot of like, what is it that you're looking for? What is it that you really are thinking that your your differentiation is? Um, and your value prop, obviously, these are kind of business basics. But the other thing that you see is the need to get in early. You know, when a procurement gets released, they've already figured out what they're buying and they're not going to be open to some innovation that you might be introducing. So if you're trying to get a, a decision maker or buyer of technology in a state and local government, you really have to get in early and talk to them when they're not in the middle of a procurement cycle for it so that when the procurement cycle comes around, you've already had a chance to educate them about your business, your capabilities, and maybe they change, maybe that affects the way they draw up the requirements. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of that movie about, I think it's Margin Call, where he said, how do you be successful in the business? Well, you can cheat. You don't want to do that. You can be the smartest, and you're not always going to be that smart, but you can be there first. That's really uh, that really makes a lot of sense. You could use that for success in, uh, in 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 procurement in state and local government, especially because I tell companies that are interested in getting involved in state and local, they really have to make a commitment to it. And maybe that commitment isn't fifty states. You wouldn't want to jump in there, but you got to look at the bigger states. Then got to look at where the money's going. What is funding? Like you say, what uh, agencies? You know, read the governor's state of the state and see what they uh, prioritize. What they're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And you can – obviously, some of these companies have been very successful, made a lot of money in state and local government. And with the, you know, the $130 billion to $175 billion uh, within five years, uh, there's, there's gold in them, their hills. So they're really going to have to make an effort to, uh, to go after it. Uh, with that, we're going to have to close our program today. I want to thank our guest, Kevin Plexico, Senior Vice President of Information Solutions at Dell Tech. Kevin, thanks for taking the time to hey, be with us. thanks for having me on. It's good to catch yeah, up with very, you. Yeah, very interesting. And thank all of you for listening. Content from the state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. 
Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, SLED Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. We'll be right back.